So we all love a good story, and uh, particularly if it involves an underdog who wins. I don't know if uh, any of you are rugby fans who remember 2015 Rugby World Cup, whenever Japan beat the mighty South Africa, and was probably the biggest upset of the tournament, one of the biggest upsets of, uh, in recent years. And perhaps that's why the story of David and Goliath is one that we find so compelling. Because here, as the Bible tells us, is this huge, arrogant Philistine champion who comes out to face the forces of Israel. Goliath is described as being over nine feet tall, covered from head to foot in bronze armor. He has a bronze javelin on his shoulder, an enormous iron-tipped spear. David, on the other hand, is a ruddy-faced shepherd boy with no armor, who goes out to face his adversary simply with a shepherd's staff, sling, and five smooth stones. Goliath sneers and curses David by the name of his gods. And David, who's been anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel and with the Lord's Holy Spirit, declares the battle belongs to the Lord. And as Goliath moves forward to attack, David runs out to meet him. And the two of them meet in the middle of the valley where there's the Philistine army on one side and the Israelite army on the other. And I imagine all of us know what happens next. David reaches into his pouch, he pulls out one of the smooth stones, puts it in his sling, he fires it, it hits Goliath in the forehead, it sinks in, and Goliath, I imagine as we say today, goes down like a ton of bricks. David goes forward, he pulls the the giant's sword out of his sheath, he kills him, and he cuts off his head. And this pattern of the arrogant falling and the humble being lifted up is something that happens over and over again. If you're visiting with us today, I'll just let you know that we're going through this book, which is Immersed Kingdoms and it's Judges, and Ruth, and uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, if you want to, we're halfway through. The idea is to read about 15 minutes a day, and uh, then to meet in our groups during the week. But if you'd like to follow that over the weeks ahead, then please just ask at the welcome point afterwards, because there are some copies in the office if you want to start into that halfway through this series over the next four weeks. And one of the benefits is that we get to see the big picture. We get to see the fact that every story is in a a wider context. And so this well-known story of David and Goliath about the arrogant falling and David being lifted up happens in the context of 1 and 2 Samuel. And so we have, for instance, Eli the priest, whose family has been judged by the Lord for their sinful ways. Eli falls backwards off his seat. He breaks his neck and he dies. In contrast, Samuel is lifted up as Israel's prophet. Then in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, the large statue of the Philistine god Dagon falls down twice before the Ark of the Covenant. On the second occasion, the statue's head and hands break off, signifying that it is utterly powerless. And in the mind of the Philistines, the ark itself 
and the Lord are lifted up in the eyes of the Philistines. There is a holy fear that comes over them. Tall and outwardly impressive, King Saul falls from the Lord's favor because of his actions. And in 1 Samuel 31, Saul is wounded in battle against the Philistines. He takes his own sword and he falls on it. And David is lifted up as king. And we heard the story of Hannah in which it certainly appears that arrogant Panina who taunted and taunted and taunted Hannah, that in the end, it was through Hannah that God's glory came, not only to her family, but also to Israel and in fact to the whole world. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. That well-known line is actually one that comes from David's lips in 2 Samuel chapter 1, in his funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. And it's the pattern of these two books, 1 and 2 Samuel. These books are also, in one way, a defense of the monarchy. They're sort of saying, look, the monarchy, although it wasn't originally designed by God to be in place, the Lord has allowed it to happen. And we might think, well, is this just then some sort of public relations document to say, yeah, kings are good, we want kings. But actually, First and Second Samuel are not public relations documents. They are the prophetic word of God. And we can be clear about that because whenever we read about the lives of these kings, we see them warts and all. We see their feet of clay. We see their successes, but we see their terrible feelings as well. And so we read about the fall of Saul and we read about the rise of David. We read about this pattern, which is God again and again and again causes the arrogant and the mighty to fall and the humble to be lifted up. And there's one particular human being that these books highlight that the Lord raises up from humble origins to a place of authority, a shepherd boy called David. He is the Lord's anointed. The Lord is with David. His spirit is on him. And one of the main themes of these books is that the Lord rescues David from his enemies over and over and over again. And then finally, having moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, in 2 Samuel 7, we read that King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. And the Lord summoned Nathan the prophet, the king summoned Nathan the prophet and said, and David said, look, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. David wants to build a temple for the Lord to acknowledge his faithfulness. The Lord, however, overrules. The Lord declares to the prophet Nathan that instead of David building a house for the Lord, the Lord says, David, I'm going to build a house for you. And the Lord declares through Nathaniel or through Nathan that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. 
The Lord says, when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. This covenant, this promise, this deal by the Lord to David and his descendants shapes the rest of the entire Bible. We've seen when we read uh, one of the previous books in Immersed Bible Reading Experience, in beginnings we saw the other covenants with, there was Noah and there was Abraham, there was Moses and the people of Israel, and then comes this covenant with David that shapes everything that comes after it. By the grace of God, the humble shepherd boy has been lifted up to a place of authority and honor. And to help us to understand how all this has happened, how does a shepherd boy become king? How does someone as part of a a seemingly insignificant family in a small tribe and the youngest of eight sons How does he rise to become king of Israel? And so 1 Samuel begins with the story of Hannah. She is taunted by Penina, her husband's other wife, for being childless. And Hannah's prayer to the Lord, born out of heartbreak and troubled circumstance, becomes the divine catalyst by which not only her circumstances, but the circumstances of her nation are transformed. And to highlight the importance of Hannah's prayerful humility expressed in her song in which he declares, there is no rock like our God. The book of 2 Samuel closes with another song and this time it's a song sung by the shepherd boy who has become king. And David begins with the same theme as Hannah. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. Do you see what the writer of 1 and 2 Samuel is telling us? He's saying a broken-hearted woman went to the temple crying her eyes out and praying to the Lord because she was being taunted for being childless. And she made a vow to God and said, Lord, give me a son and I'll give him right back to you. And she kept her word. And from that moment and that answer, the fate of Israel's future was determined. And the writer wants to tell us, this is the way that our God works. He works in little things, and he does big things. So for us as Christians, as we read all this through the lens of Christ, as we read Hannah's song, we're reminded of Mary's song at the start of Luke's gospel, in which Mary sings that the Lord has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. As in Hannah's case, Mary is singing about herself, she's singing about her nation, and she's also singing about the one who is born in humble surroundings who will rise to be king. And in Mary's case, she is speaking about the one whom she herself will bear. And for us too, as followers of Christ, 
we see that the Lord's words through Nathan refer not only to David's descendant Solomon, but also to Jesus. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for the Lord. Jesus is the one about whom it is true to say, I will secure His royal throne forever. I will be His Father, and He will be my Son. And we're reminded of Jesus' teaching. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And James 4, God blesses the proud and gives grace to the humble. And humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And of course, Jesus, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, our champion, who has gone out onto the battlefield alone to face the enemy, to face the forces of evil, of sin, the world, and the devil. He has gone out alone. We can only stand and watch. And He has won a great victory for us by humbling Himself and dying a criminal's death on a cross only to be lifted up to the place of the highest honor in His resurrection, ascension, and exaltation. Hallelujah. Isn't it marvelous the way the Lord works? He gains the victory in the most unexpected ways. If we follow in the humble footsteps of Jesus, then we too will be lifted up with Him. If we don't, then we will soon discover that God Himself is opposing us. And what First and Second Samuel are telling us, in fact, what the whole Bible tells us is this, you do not want to be opposed by God. The world wants us to believe that boundaries and limitations don't exist. You can be anything. You can do anything. You can do everything. You can do anything you want. It sounds so liberating, but it leads to frustration confusion, exhaustion, disappointment, and pain. Boundaries and limitations do exist, and they exist for our benefit. And thanks be to God there are boundaries, and thanks be to God there are limitations. There are things that we can't do, and there are things that we shouldn't do. We don't have the time and energy for everything. It isn't good to try everything. We need rest and sleep. We can't control everything. Our earthly lives have a starting point and an ending point. If we try to do anything we want or try to experience everything there is to experience, 
then we will find ourselves opposed by the Lord who causes the proud to fall. So often we may wonder whenever we feel that we're nudging up or knocking up against boundaries or limitations or frustrations, and the first thought may be, is this the world in its sinful brokenness opposing me? Is this demonic attack? Is the devil having a go at me? It is good to ask these questions when these things happen. And sometimes the answer to that question is yes. But also, I think that all of us need to be realistic and wonder sometimes, whenever we feel frustrated, whenever we feel exhausted, whenever we feel disappointment, whenever we feel we come up against frustration and pain, a question that we should always ask ourselves is this, is it the Lord who's opposing me? Am I thinking and acting with arrogance and pride? Am I acting as if I'm superhuman? Do I believe that I need no rest? Do I believe that I don't need a day of rest every week and some space and time every day for rest and reflection and prayer and good solid conversations with people I love and they love me? Do I think that I alone on the earth don't need that? Do I think my finances are infinite? Do I think there are not limitations to my life the same way there are to every other human being? Do I think that there are not moral absolutes and do I think they just don't apply to me? The Bible tells us the way the Lord works. The the Lord works by bringing down the proud and lifting up the humble. The Lord's desire for us is that we confess our faults, we admit our mistakes, we recognize our limitations, that we trust in the one who lifts up the humble and we seek to do his will rather than our own. And when we do that, we will discover the glorious and liberating truth in Philippians chapter 4. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In a moment, we're going to sing a wonderful song about the beautiful name of Jesus and I'd love the band to come up and in a moment we'll stand to sing that song. But I just want to read the words of another well-known song that is about the rock, the place of stability, who lifts up those who are humble. May this be our prayer. Faithful one, so unchanging. Ageless one, you're my rock of peace. Lord of all, I depend on you. I call out to you again and again. You are my rock in times of trouble. You lift me up when I fall down. All through the storm, your love is the anchor. My hope is in you alone.
Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways are not our ways. We're reminded of the sentiments in, in Hannah's song, Lord, that you've said that no one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. And yet, Lord, you give power to your king and you increase the strength of your anointed one. Lord, as followers of Jesus, we recognize that we too, we bear the name of the anointed one. We are the anointed of God by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to be sensitive to how you speak into our lives through Scripture, through circumstances, through other people, through visions, through uh, prophets, through day-to-day -day things like tiredness or frustration. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your voice into our lives. Help us to be aware of the fact that you have given us boundaries and limitations because you love us. Help us to celebrate who we are, whether we're male or female, young or old, or whatever our circumstances, we recognize the fact that everything we have is a gift from you. And we give thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, our champion, who has gone head to head against the forces of darkness and through his death and resurrection has overcome, and we trust today in Christ alone. May we follow in his footsteps. May we be humble in thought and word and deed. May we be full of prayer and full of praise and full of humility. And so, Lord, we trust that in Christ we too will be lifted up, that you will lift us up, not through our strength, but through yours. We trust in you. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus.